all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Assistant Professor of Nursing and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And we're talking about disaster preparedness today on the show. And I had an absolutely fantastic guest, an expert on that lined up for you guys, but Irma intervened. And he was deployed to assist with those storms this morning. So we're going to give a shout out to Carl and hope that he is well and safe wherever he is and that he is doing what he is best at and what he loves, and that is helping people in times of need. So we're going to soldier on and discuss some of the important information about hurricanes and storms and being prepared for those. But I also want to take some time today to remember what happened 16 years ago. Do you remember where you were or what you were doing when you heard the news about the September 11th attacks? I'd love to hear your story today. You can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 Or maybe you have a story about Hurricane Katrina or some of the other natural disasters that have occurred. We would love to hear those as well. I'll be talking about my Katrina story in a minute because we share an important uh, date together, me and me and that hurricane. But first, I want to talk about uh, hurricane season. The official Atlantic hurricane season is June 1st to November 30th, uh, with the peak time being somewhere around mid-August to late October. So we are right in the thick of it. And now is the time to kind of get get ready uh, for any uh, potential storms. Um, Looks like we probably won't get a whole lot from Irma this time around, but we've got to be ready for any other storms that might come our way. So one of the best things to do is just general preparedness for any type of weather-related uh, um, disaster, and that starts with just preparing your home. And this is one thing that I didn't necessarily think about, but think about the wind that's just associated with those hurricanes and what that may mean for things just in your backyard. The trees and branches, if they're kind of dead or dying, are kind of in some bad shape. And so they may actually uh, fall and cause more damage to your home than what you would uh, have sustained otherwise. So when there's not a hurricane imminent, now is the time to go get those trees cut off, those limbs removed, and anything um, that could fall on your house out of the way. Rain gutters are another big thing. I think my rain gutters are um, perpetually congested and stopped up, or it seems that way. They're kind of always spouting water and and looking terrible. But that's a good way to kind of decrease the amount of damage that can happen to your home through water damage is to go ahead and get those rain gutters kind of unclogged and uh, so that the water can flow freely and not run down the side of your property. The other thing is a generator, and I know generators have been a hot topic uh, lately, but now is the time to, to get a generator before a, star, a storm is imminent. Once a storm is, is coming and here, uh, generators become such hot property that 
people get a little irritated when they go to the store and there's not one there. So now's the time to kind of pick those up and get those, um, get test those out, make sure those are working. Always, always make sure that you never put that generator inside your house. Um, you want to keep that generator at least 20 feet away from um, windows and, and doors and make sure that it's well ventilated. Now, I said I would share my Katrina story and the date that we uh, share together, and that's because my birthday is August 29th. And so we know that's when Katrina uh, made her epic landfall. And so my birthday is shared with Katrina, not something that you just really want to celebrate all the time, but it there it is. And so the, the weekend that Katrina hit was uh, one of the weekends that I was off of work, so I was going to have have some fun. And my husband had booked us a trip in New Orleans. That is where we were going. Of course, this is before uh, we knew that's where Katrina was going to be headed. But uh, we had booked a lovely, uh, very expensive hotel and a lovely dinner out at Emeralds and all of that uh, fun stuff to do. And if you remember back, they weren't real sure where Katrina was going to actually land. There were you know multiple models that were showing it not kind of coming in to the Gulf in that direction. And so almost up until the day before we were going to leave, we still had plans to head to New Orleans. And that morning we woke up and said, you know what, this, no, we're not doing that. We're not going that way. So we turned the opposite direction and we headed up to Memphis and uh, planned a little Memphis trip uh, up there. And we got to Memphis. Everything was fine. We checked in our hotel. We went to the zoo. We were doing lots of fun stuff. And then uh, when we were coming back down off the elevator, when we when our elevator doors opened, there were people everywhere in in the hotel lobby. And of course, you know, we stopped and said, you know, "What is going on here?" And these were people that were evacuating from the coast. And what we actually wound up doing is, you know, it didn't really feel right to us to uh, stay and take a room. So we actually gave our room up to people who were evacuating the storm. But right about that time, that's also when we got the news that the levees um, had been breached in New Orleans and that there was flooding everywhere. And so we were desperately trying to get back uh, to Jackson because I knew as a nurse that I was going to be needed for that. And when we got back... uh, We couldn't make it all the way back to Jackson. We had to stop in the Delta, where some of our family is, and and stay there um, for a day or so. Of course, not knowing what was going on with our own home, things like that. But when we got back uh, to Jackson, we we were lucky. We didn't have a whole lot of damage uh, here. But what uh, we were called to do then was uh, serve the medical needs of the community. And one of the things that UMC did is we set up a, a clinic in over at the fairgrounds and this was anyone who's displaced from the storm there were cots uh, for all those folks and we ran a clinic out of there and I was at a time in my career where I was I'd been a registered nurse for several years but I was in school to be a nurse practitioner so um, I was trying to fill in wherever I could be needed and the the people that I met and the stories that they told me about uh, fleeing from that storm and leaving everything behind, of course, they impacted and, of course, shaped the way that I take care of people now and the way that I think about disasters and how we prepare for them. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this show today, because a lot of those folks were not prepared for what uh, was was coming their way and were really just able to grab one or two things as they left their home. 
And one of the biggest things that they didn't have with them was information about their medical history and their um, medica- medications that they take, um, what conditions that they have, any allergies um, that, that they may have. And that really uh, impacted how we were able to care for them because we wanted to be able to get them back on their medications that they were on. But it did uh, challenge that. So um, being prepared for these storms and having these things readily available is always a good idea. One thing that I recommend every single patient that I take care of, regardless if we're preparing for an emergency or or not, is to keep a copy of your medications in your wallet or in your purse. And that should be the name of the medication, the dose of the medication, how frequently you're taking it, and really what uh, type of, what doctor or nurse practitioner prescribed that medication for you. And I ask my patients to take it one step further, and if they're able to get it laminated, that's a great way to do it, or just slip it down into a little baggie to put in in their purse. That way, if um, water becomes an issue, we're still able to read those types of um uh, the words that are on the paper they don't they don't uh, smudge and blend and become unreadable. So I would love to hear from you guys if you have uh, stories about any of these storms that you've weathered uh, and have tips or uh, tricks that you came up with or that thought, man, I wish I had had that um, when I was hunkering down from a storm. Please call me and let me know at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And if you're looking for a place to get started with trying to get ready for um, preparing for a natural disaster, ready.gov is a great place to start. It gives you great basic information and then goes in-depth into all the different kinds of um, things that you would need in your preparedness kit um, for a weather-related emergency. But like I said, we want to we want to be prepared before a storm develops or before a storm even occurs. So we talked about some things to do to our house that can help with that. But what are you know what are some other things that we can do um, when they, maybe we know a storm is coming, but it's still you know a day or two away? Well, one of the things that we can do is make sure that we are signed up for uh, emergency alerts. And, you know, we've always talked about getting a, a NOAA weather radio. That's a good option to have. And if you uh, don't know what a NOAA weather radio is and you want more information about that, you can email me at fit at mpbonline.org. And I'll be uh, happy to send you some information about it and a list of stores where you can get one of those. Uh, but another thing are, are these emergency text messages that um, you can receive on your cell phone. Now, most cell phones and most major cellular providers um, already do this as uh, part of their standard package. One thing to know about it is it does not cost. So when you get one of these alert um, emergency alerts on your phone, you're not being charged a text message rate for that. Um, you can opt out of it. So I know sometimes they can get a little bit irritating, especially um, when there's flash flood warnings going on. It seems like your phone is just buzzing and and ringing off the hook with those. Um, So if you've disabled those and there is uh, a storm coming, go back into your settings and re-enable those because that's a great way to be able to get in touch, um, uh, get get information when you may not have a television ready. Another way is um, to... um, 
download some of these apps that are available. Of course, FEMA has an app. The Red Cross also has an app. And what I like about the Red Cross app is there's a uh, family safe function on the Red Cross app so that you're able to connect uh, to other family members, maybe not even in this area where the event is happening, but to let them know that you're safe um, and that everything is that you're doing okay with that. Um, Another good idea to have is to designate an emergency contact that is not in um, the town where you are because when a disaster occurs in that town you know the cell phone lines may go down electricity is down in that area but if you're able to get a message out to someone outside of that town you'll have a better um, uh, way of contacting someone and letting them know that that you and your family are okay all right we're going to go to the phones and talk to al who is on the road good morning al good morning how are you I'm good, thank you. I enjoy your show. Well, thank you so much for listening. What you got for me today? What I've done is taken a regular uh, address label, mm-hmm. the self-adhesive type, right. and typed the emergency numbers on it and put, uh, adhered it to the back of my driver's license. Okay. I had not thought about so, doing that. That's a good idea. So uh, anytime anything happens, if I'm disabled someone can look at my license and have a number to call. That's a fantastic tip. Thank you so much for that. And so I'm sure you put your emergency contact numbers on there, maybe even your um, health care provider or any allergies or anything like that. That's a great idea. Well, there's not enough room for all of that. There's not enough room for all that. We'll have to get you uh, a bigger a bigger sticker. I put several numbers on there Good. in the order that they should be called. And they could find someone who could give them that information. Gotcha. That's an excellent idea. Thank you so much for that tip. You're welcome. Have a good day. You have a great day as well. Be safe driving. Um, One thing that I always think about is my kids. You know, I've got uh, that nine-year-old and that six-year-old little boy, and do they know who to call and who to talk to if there's an emergency? You know, weather does not... um, say or disasters do not wait until you know after 5 p.m when i'm home or uh, on the weekends so sometimes these things occur while the kids are at school and do they know uh, who they should call of course we work with them on what our address is and what our cell phone numbers are and that type of thing but you never know um, when a child will kind of blank on that information and not not know and course my children certainly don't know what medications they may take or what allergies they have especially my my youngest so that would be a great idea for them as well to be able to have a card in their backpack that um, has of course our emergency contact numbers on it who their uh, physician is um, what you know what hospital we use and kind of their medical information and allergies and it's not something that I usually think about putting in their backpack but probably something that's going to go in there um today when I get home, just so that they'll have that extra little layer of uh, protection in there. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the things that we can do to continue to get ready for the storm. What about when it's even closer, when we know it's going to be here in half a day or a couple of hours? If you want to join in our conversation or share your stories, please give us a call at 1-877-672-7464 or send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. Today we're talking about disaster preparedness and how to be ready for kind of anything that Mother Nature can throw your way. And if you want to join in our conversation, you can give us a call at one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You can send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. We're also wanting to hear your stories today. If you have a story about how you have uh, survived a disaster or weathered through a storm, we want to hear those as well. And, of course, always, if you have a where you were story from September 11th and you want to share that uh, with our listeners, we'd be happy to hear those as well. Before we went to the break, we were talking about kind of general preparedness and making sure that we have some things in place um, just for general safety and preparedness. But when I was talking to the emergency um, specialists at UMC, I said, what are the big things that you want uh, the general public to know about being ready and being prepared for a disaster? And one uh, was having a disaster plan. And so we've talked a little bit about that. And we'll talk about some some other things in a minute. And the other is having a disaster kit. Um, And that disaster kit um, should go for each person uh, and should be prepared to last about at least three days. So when we're talking about disaster kits, uh, there kind of are two different branches that you can go. One is a disaster kit that's going to have to be completely mobile. That way, if you're going to evacuate. And the other is something um, if you're going to shelter in place, meaning you're not able to evacuate or, or you were not in an evacuation. Evacuated, uh, evacuation mandated area, and you're going to be in your um, home or uh, your shelter for the foreseeable uh, couple of days. But regardless of what type of kit it is, there are some things that uh, should always be there. And of course, we think about food and water, but what types of food and water? Well, when you're talking about food, of course, you want things that are not going to spoil. So, you know, when I'm talking about disaster preparedness and making these kits, I kind of have to take off my uh, 100% healthy eating hat and look at what's going to keep us alive and keep us uh, fed and sustain us for as long as we can. And a lot of times it's going to be uh, canned and prepackaged items, and that's okay for this. You know, So you want those non-perishable items, those canned foods, um, packaged foods. But what you got to remember with canned foods is that you got to have some way to open it. So pop-tops. Uh, are a good option. So those cans that already have the pop top uh, pull on them and then a manual uh, can opener. And so uh, I grew up with an electric can opener. And so I remember the first time that I saw a manual can opener, I was like, what is this and how do I work this thing? So, um, you know, if your kids uh, or teenagers have only been around an electronic can opener, now's the time to whip one of those manual ones out and show them how to use that and make sure that there's one in the emergency kit. Now, um, looking at my Facebook feed, I had a question about water and how much water uh, should be in an emergency kit. And, you know, the deal with water is that you actually need about a gallon per person per day. So if we're talking about building a kit that's going to last us three days for one person, that's three gallons of water. And so you got to make sure that you do that for um, every person in your household. 
um, and think about the different needs of, of the people that live in your home. You know, if it's a, a baby, you know, you're going to need formula and that type of stuff to go along uh, with that. But that can be, it can seem like a large amount of water. And one of the things I hear is that's super expensive. You know, I'm not going to stock all of that water. Well, of course, this does not have to be designer uh, water. You know, you can get uh, the gallon distilled water uh, jugs for about 88 cents to a dollar at most of your stores. And so you can stock those. Um, I usually recommend putting those in a uh, plastic tote that has some wheels on it so that you can kind of wheel that if you're going to be mobile with that uh, water. Some of the other things that should go into uh, your readiness kit is uh, just your standard um, first aid kit and the things that go along in that. What... um, What I usually recommend is you can go ahead and buy one of those uh, standard first aid kits, but they usually need a little beefing up. So when you open one of those uh, regular, you know, already pre-made first aid kits, there's about two Band-Aids in there and two Tylenol and a little, you know, a couple of little gauze pads. And you may, you know, may need more than that. So we put together our own little first aid kit, of course, with Band-Aids of different shapes and sizes because cuts come in different shapes and sizes, antibiotic ointment, lots of rolled gauze because that works well um, for securing things, um, some gauze pads, bottle of over-the-counter medications like Tylenol, ibuprofen, um, we put uh, Benadryl in ours. That way, if you know uh, somebody gets stung uh, by you know an insect, we've got something on board for that. Put some anti-itch cream in there, and really build your own. And you know, my kids are uh, in the the Cub Scout uh, age group, so we use that as um, one of the ways to help them with their badge. And um, we go to the store and put together a first aid kit together um, from that. And so that's that's always a good thing to have in there. The other part that people often leave out is some way to disinfect uh, their hands um, during a disaster. So you, of course, you can do hand sanitizer. Uh, one of the problems that happened in one of my kits that's in my car is I had a bottle of squeeze hand sanitizer and I sat something down on top of it and blew the end off of my alcohol-based hand sanitizer, which uh, made my car smell great, like like a little mobile hospital going on in there. Made me a little woozy for a couple of days smelling that. And then the thing about alcohol is it evaporates. So there was no more uh, hand sanitizer in my little bag when I needed it. So some of the uh, moist towelettes uh, that have uh, hand sanitizer built into those are a little bit better option um, for um, kind of these mobile packs that may get squished and, and whatnot in, in the different areas. So make sure you kind of keep some of those on board. Another thing that I'm sure if you are sheltering in place with uh, friends and family, they would appreciate some deodorant and other hygiene products. Because after a couple of days of not being able to shower, you may not smell great. So some deodorant is always a good option. Maybe even um, things like, but be be careful with deodorant. You don't want to get something that's super loud smelling because that can affect uh, people as well with different headache triggers and that kind of thing. Um, filling in supplies are another option that you'd want to have in your um, in your go kit, as I, as we like to call it. That um, even you know tampons, pads, any of those kind of hygiene products that are going to just make your um, your sheltering a little bit more pleasant. Um, One thing that uh, they recommended to me, the emergency team at UMC, 
though we might not necessarily necessarily think about, is a whistle. And a whistle is a great option to have uh, in the go pack to be able to signal people. You know, if you were um, if you were stayed in your home and you're um, now waiting on search and rescue, then being able to blow that whistle and alert people to, hey, there's somebody over here is a really good option um, to be able to do without having to um, have a big bulky uh, light or something like that that you're shining. It's a really good option to have. And I usually um, do two whistles and I put, because we have two backpacks that we keep for our little go kits and there's one whistle in each pack that way, um, you know, kind of one for um, each adult in, in our family that carries the big pack. Um, comfort is another thing. You know, we always want to think about what we need to survive, but we also want to be as comfortable as possible. So, you know, sleeping bags, uh, small pillows, blankets that are going to make, um, you know, this this time as comfortable as possible for folks. Um, the other thing is your phone. So, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty attached to my phone. I like my phone a lot. Um, but... Think about not running your battery down, doing things that are not necessarily necessary. Um, so once you know something is or a, a storm is is imminent and it's occurring, keep it uh, charged for as long as you can, and then limit the use of that cell phone as much as possible. But it, some cell phones come with external battery packs that you can have, and keep one of those stocked in your. Uh, go kit um, so that you'll have an extra backup power supply for that. Um, a radio that is battery powered uh, is a good idea. We talked about that NOAA weather radio, and that's a good option as well as a regular radio that takes just regular old batteries. Uh, good flashlights, uh, and I have a flashlight for each family member plus one extra just in case something goes on with it, and extra batteries. What I have done is went to the store and bought the same type of flashlight, five of them. That way um, I don't have to worry about what type of batteries each one of them fits. I know that the same battery, I buy one pack of batteries and they'll all fit that same flashlight. So I don't have to worry about trying to make sure if this one takes double A's, this one takes triple A's, what's going on with it. Uh, another good thing to have is um, like a wrench or a plier or something like that if you're going to need to turn off your utilities. If you need to turn off your gas, your water, that kind of thing, having uh, some pliers in, in your kit is a good option for that. Um, one thing that you may not think about is having a fire extinguisher as well, at least near your go kit. That way, if there is... Um, a fire that breaks out during uh, during this time that you'll have something available for that and we cannot forget our pets we got to make sure that we've got food and water uh, for those pets that they've got an id tag on that has who their uh their pet mommy and daddy is and a crate or carrier for each one of those um pets and then we cannot forget our kids. You know, we're always thinking about what we need to survive. So we would never forget food and water for our kids. But do they have a particular uh, lovey that they have to have? I know my oldest son, when he was about 18 months, he had this red parrot that 
you couldn't go anywhere without this red parrot. It was his best friend. Thankfully, it was not a real parrot. It was a stuffed parrot. But we we had to have the parrot. And so, you know, while it's certainly not life-threatening to not have it, it's going to make your child's uh, time without maybe TV and electronics and other things that they use to entertain themselves go a little bit easier if they're not screaming for their uh, stuffed friend. So... Um, We actually wound up uh, finding two of those parrots, and we stuck one in our emergency kit just for backup. And thankfully, we did not have to use that. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue talking about how to be weather ready and how to be prepared for disasters. And we want to hear from you. Please give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMMC. And today we're talking about disaster preparedness and how to get ready when a storm may be imminent or just in general when there's the possibility of severe weather on the horizon. And we've been talking about putting together an emergency kit. And if you would like a list of the supplies that go in an emergency kit and how much of each thing that you need, send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org and I'll be happy to send you a copy of that list. You can also go to www.ready.gov and there's a list there available for you as well. If you have questions or comments about anything that we've been talking about today or you want to share your story, please give us a call. Our number is 1-877-672-7464. Don't wait till the end of the show to get those calls in. Now, as I mentioned, we were talking about the emergency preparedness kit and all the things that go into that. But one thing I want to make sure um, that you're aware of is, you know, you may pack these and it may sit um, for a while without uh, being used. So once um, a storm or a disaster is um, imminent with, you know, that, you know, within a day or so, that it's a pretty good chance that something is going to um be in your area, it's a good time to go ahead and uh, check and make sure that things are not expired. In particular, that first aid kit, uh, make sure those medications inside that first aid kit are not expired. And if they are, go ahead and um, pick up some new ones of those and change those out. Uh, Food as well, food and water. And what uh, we do is about every 
two months or so, we just pick up some new water put in that kit and then go ahead and use the water that was in the kit for uh, another uh, activity, put it in the fridge and have some you know good ice cold water in there for that. But do make sure that you're taking those supplies and making sure that everything is okay in there, the batteries and the flashlight your sanitizers, all of that um, good stuff. Um, One thing that people um, probably are going to experience is a loss of power. And one of the things that you may worry about is your food. So how do we know when, uh, you know, the food that we had in our fridge and our freezer is okay? Well, one of the things I've seen kind of circulate in the Internet is to, you know, put – some water in an ice cube tray, let it freeze halfway, put a quarter in there, put some more water in, let it freeze all the way, put that in your freezer, and then um, when when the power goes out, when you're able to look at, when you come back or whatever, you're able to look at that. If that quarter has kind of sunk to the bottom, that means that that water thawed out, the quarter sunk to the bottom, and then it may have re-froze um, over the top of that when the power came back on. Um, that's certainly one way you can go about it, but um, you're going to have to have temperatures that have uh, been abnormal for a while for that uh, to happen. And we really don't want food staying outside of normal temps for a really long amount of time. So um, there are uh, kind of thermometers that just sit right uh, on the shelf in the fridge and the freezer and uh, have a little digital display on the outside. They're not very expensive. You can pick them up um, at most of your department stores. And those are a better option to be able to have um, kind of accurate temperature display in there. You can even get them that log um, the temperatures or at least give you a minimum and a maximum. That way, you know, if your fridge temps have been greater than 40 degrees at any point in time, it's probably a better idea not to consume uh, that food. Um, another uh, way to do that is uh, to just kind of keep a, a check on um, th- the types of food that you have in your freezer and make sure that those are up to date and kind of we have a clean out party once a month where we you know go through the freezer and things that may be close to expiring or have been in there a while we go ahead and take those out and make a meal out of those types of things so we just want to make sure that we don't Uh, consume foods that are no longer good for us just during a disaster because getting a foodborne illness on top of not being able to reach medical services is kind of a double whammy. You're going to wind up with dehydration and further complicate uh, your issue from that. So, uh, you know, what are some other things that we can do uh, when we know uh, that, you know, the storm is coming? I want to talk about some myths that we've that I've seen kind of going around the Internet uh, as well. One is to put your documents that or your valuables in your dishwasher. Um, the theory behind that was the dishwasher is watertight and you will be OK to put your your things in there. I would not really recommend that, you know. Um, Yes, it can be watertight, but if the house is blown away or removed from its foundation or squished, then, you know, that dishwasher is going to be squished as well. And so you may not be able to get to your documents um, or your valuables in a timely manner. Um, So the better option for that would be, um, you know, we put a... um, 
copy of all of our uh, important documents on a thumb drive um, and store that thumb drive uh, in a safe deposit box. That way we'll have access to those types of things. But that dishwasher is not necessarily the place where you want to put those. Another uh, thing that I've seen going around, which initially sounded like maybe this would not be a bad idea, was to put tape on your windows. That way, if the windows shattered, then you wouldn't have little pieces of glass kind of floating through the floodwaters or flying through the air in your house. And initially, I thought, that didn't sound like a bad idea. But when you actually look into that and, and what's going on, it actually can cause much more damage because instead of having little tiny slivers of glass floating around, that tape may actually make big jagged pieces of glass that are held together. And those are much more dangerous as they're moving through uh, floodwaters or um, just in the debris. You may actually have uh, more cuts from from that. So, you know, those are kind of two things that I've seen going around the Internet uh, that are not necessarily the best ideas. If you guys have tips that have worked for you or things that you wish you would have done uh, when you were uh, without power or during a hurricane, please give us a call and let us know at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So when a hurricane or... Thankfully, we don't get tons of hurricanes right here in, in central Mississippi, but I know our coastal counties are always um, looking at, you know, anytime a tropical um, weather system enters the Gulf, you know, what are some things um, that you may not uh, think about having that you would want to have? And we've gone through that, that kit that we talked about. But some other things that you may just not think about are um, things like your Social Security card or your... Um, home insurance paperwork or your vaccination records on your children. Those are all really important things. And if you're going to evacuate with a pet, you probably also want to have your vaccination records for your pets because a lot of shelters may actually require proof of vaccination to let those uh, pets in uh, to those uh, shelters. So those are all additional pieces of paper that you're going to want to have when you go um when, when you're preparing for a, a disaster like that. So I talked to you about my experience um, with Katrina and that, you know, I was lucky, um, but there were things that I wish we'd had on board. And so if you guys want to share things that you wish you had had or tips and tricks for those listening out there who may be preparing for bad weather, please give us a call at one 672 7464 or send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMMC. And we've been talking all about disasters today and how to be uh, ready should a disaster occur and steps to take in order to be as, as well prepared as we can be. And we've been talking about emergency kits and having copies of um, papers that you need. And we had a great tip from a caller earlier about a sticky label that he puts on the back of his driver's license. And those are just the kind of tips that we love to get and hear about what folks are actually doing out there. If you have a tip that you want to share with us, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, Or you can email me at fit at mpbonline.org. I've been talking a lot about um, different documents to have, and one of the most important documents that you can have is a family communication plan. And that is really a way to have um, a written plan uh, that you can share with all members of your family as well as your children that you're able to kind of everybody be on one page so that we're not kind of frantic trying to uh, get things together uh, when a disaster is occurring. The great thing about ready.gov, when you go there, it's um, a fillable form so that you can uh, enter your information into that area and print it out. They'll even print out a wallet-sized card that has information, um, the information that uh, you and your family would need in order to handle that disaster as best as possible. And um, that you can put one of those in each of uh, your family members' backpacks or purses or wallets and have that uh, information for you. Again, that website was uh, ready.gov. And uh, we've got a couple of callers on the line, so we're going to go and talk to Robert in Mobile. Good morning, Robert. Good morning. How are you? I'm just fine. How are you doing? Ah, uh, just fine. What's it like in Mobile today? Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah? It's so beautiful. Good. Yeah. What's going on? Well, I have a 15-year-old son. Okay. And he's got a cyst right at the uh, his lower back. Okay. Kind of in his, uh, in, in starting to go into his... Uh, Top of his booty crack? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Been there, seen that. Yeah. And it, it's it's abscessed once. Right. And, uh, you know, my, my, wife, my wife is is a nurse. And she's kind of taking care of it. And she mm-hmm. was mentioned maybe having surgery and the doctor as well. Right. But, you know, she doesn't, I don't understand some of her jargon sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> we like to do that sometimes. We like yeah. to use things just, just to confuse. I'm just a lowly mechanic. I'm oh, no. Broken, you know, Everybody's got their role. Thing. Everybody's got what they're supposed to do. Right. And, uh. And I'm wondering what kind of risks there are involved in, you know, in, in him having this surgery right there. Okay. I mean, with the, the spinal cord and everything there. Right. Well, usually those cysts right there are called pilonidal cysts, which is right uh-huh. at the right at the top of your, your booty crack. And uh-huh. usually they are not deep enough to kind of involve spinal cord type stuff. Uh-huh. You know, um those are usually a type of cyst called, also called an epidermoid cyst, which means there's a little um, sac under the skin. Kind of like I this. Heard that word. Yeah. Kind of that word come out of somebody's mouth. You heard the sac know. word come out? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it come out of my wife's mouth, I think. <laughs> yeah. So the sac um, 
I actually like to think about it as kind of the skin just ha- made a little dent in and made this little cyst wall. Mm-hmm. And then skin cells continue to flake into that sac because that's what our skin does. It kind of sheds, you know, all the time. And so as that skin kind of sheds off into that sac, the cyst grows. And for some folks, the cyst never causes problems because you can have these cysts kind of anywhere on your body. And a lot of folks, it doesn't cause them any problems. The problem with where your son's is, is that that is an area that gets hot. It gets, you know, wet and has a lot of friction on it right there in that area. And so those are the types of areas that usually get more inflamed. You mentioned the word abscess. Abscess can is usually means infection so that they can get infected or they can just get inflamed, meaning some of the contents inside of them start to break down and you have inflammation, which just means it gets red and swollen and hot and painful. And so uh, kind of the quickest fix for that is just something we call incision and drainage, meaning we take a scalpel and we just cut it open and we drain all the liquidy parts out and try and get it cleaned out the best we can. But with those types of cysts, if the actual sac wall is not removed, that it kind of just reforms. You know, the skin just continues to flake off into that little sac that's there. So usually we recommend a, an excision of that entire sac or actually cutting that entire sac out. Now, you know, of course, I don't know how big your son's is or how extensive the surgery is that they're talking about doing. Um, a lot of cyst excisions can be done just under local anesthesia, meaning some kind of numbing medicine in a syringe that we just kind of inject around the site um, to take care of that. Um, If it's bigger or if there's going to be problems, you know, uh, with uh, the person holding still and being able to stay in that position, they may um, give them a little twilight medication and kind of make them sleepy and do that. But usually those types of procedures are fairly... um, fairly well tolerated and recovery time is is pretty you know a couple days to get that uh, healing up and then some dressing changes to the area but usually overall well tolerated does that that makes me feel a little better does that help at all yeah, thank you very much. You're so welcome, and thank you for that. You know, cysts and cysts and draining things is one of my favorite skills to do uh, as a practitioner. I know nurses are gross. We like to do uh, gross things. But that probably will go ahead and give him, um, you know, better overall long-term outcomes. So just go ahead and get that whole cyst removed so he doesn't have to keep going in and having those things taken care of. All right, thank you so much for that call, Robert. We're going to go uh, to Al. Al is back, still driving, with uh, a comment about carrying documents. Good morning, Al. Good morning again. I'm so glad to hear you. What you got for me now? Your documents can be kept on your phone. Most uh, people have smartphones mm-hmm. or phones with cameras anymore. Mm-hmm. Take a picture of your documents and you have them. Right. You need your homeowner's policy, auto policy. You just need the a document page uh, and the coverage and the Mm -hmm. dates and so forth. Right. And you have all that information right at your fingertips on your phone. Yep. And that it brings another good point of making sure you keep that phone charged uh, at all times. You know, so pretty much any time I'm in my car, I've got my phone on my 
car charger so that I keep it, you know, charged as much as possible because I am on it a lot when when I'm out of the vehicle. The other thing is now that we've got kind of, ex, uh, not what call them external, but cloud type storage areas, you know, some folks are hesitant to keep documents on their phone just from a privacy standpoint. Um, but being able to use those clouds uh, to store stuff in and still be able to retrieve them, uh, you know, through password protection is a good option for that. You sound like you're ready. Al, you are ready for anything that Mother Nature can throw your way. Well, I'm trying to be ready. You never know when. Uh, you never know. Have an emergency. That is right. You know, emergencies do not schedule appointments. You never know when that's going to happen. So thank you for your tips today, Al. I've enjoyed talking with you, and you be safe driving. Thank you. Have a good one. You're welcome. So, guys, I've enjoyed talking with you today about disasters and our our assist question as well. That was a great one to throw in there. If you've got questions about disasters or need more information, again, that great website to go to is ready.gov that will have printable um, lists of everything that you need in your emergency kit. I, of course, will be happy to send you um, copies of any of the lists that you need if you may not have access to the Internet. Um, I will be happy to push those out to you. And um, you can always, always reach me at fit at mpbonline.org. Now, some things I wanted to talk about very, very briefly because we're almost out of time is what to do after you've had uh, an event. Let's say your home is flooded. You've had some problems with that. You've got to think about what kind of damage was done to your home and really kind of airing that out and letting some of that water um, kind of evaporate and dry. And really, you know, if the home does not have structural damage to it, bringing in one of these companies that does that for a living because we certainly don't want mold and different things to grow that can trigger uh, allergies and flare those types of things up. We also have a tip sheet out there for um, cleaning up after a storm. If you'd like that, I can send that to you as well. You can email me at fit at mpbonline.org. So we're really out of time for today, and I've enjoyed talking with you about disaster preparedness and being ready for... um anything that Mother Nature can throw your way, even though we're never 100% ready. If you didn't get to call us today, of course, I'll be back next week, and you can uh, call in and share your stories and questions with me then. Don't forget to tune in every single weekday at 11 a.m. for the full Southern Remedy lineup. You can have a different expert every day with a different topic. And as always, we're here to answer your questions and listen to your stories. You can also sign up for our podcasts at mpbonline.org slash Southern Remedy. We also have a ton of other resources there on that website related to any kind of health need that you have. We've got weight loss uh, information there as as well as physical activity tips and how to get your kids to eat healthier. Again, that was mpbonline.org slash Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, and you've been listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.